0: Glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Again, First John two, fifteen: Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We've been looking at a number each of these messages. We're entitling something along the lines of fellowship, and so as we can continue in First John two. I mentioned over the last couple of messages that chapter 2 uh, is, uses family terms over and over. So in verse 7, he refers to those he's writing to his brethren. Uh, he begins the, the, the uh, chapter with my little children. He refers to the father repeatedly throughout chapter 2. So the kind of fellowship that he has called them to in chapter 1, he clarifies in chapter 2 as being a fellowship that you would have inside a family. Uh, There's a father and there's children. By the way, let me just say from a a very practical perspective, it's important for us to understand uh, that the church, uh, the local church, is a family, that the Father is in heaven. If the church is the body, the head is in heaven. If the church is a family... The Father is in heaven. That helps us understand how to structure the local New Testament church and how to think toward each other. Uh, there's there's not, the, I've heard it said, anything with two heads is a monster, and that's true. Every New Testament church has one head, that's Jesus Christ. Every New Testament church has one father, and that's the Lord God. And so he runs the family. Then there's an order inside the family, and the way God the Father has designed order is that the Older children would help bring up the younger children to maturity. Uh, you younger, First Peter said, submit yourselves unto the elder, First Peter chapter 5. So the idea of those who've been in the family longer are responsible for instructing and discipling those who've been in the family for less time. And what God does then as our Heavenly Father is He involves us in His work of bringing up His children. That's what John's doing. He says little children, young men, Uh, ye fathers so those who are matured and are discipling others he has different groups he speaks to we looked at last week as he communicates inside this the the fellowship and tonight we begin a a couple of messages at least on the conservation of fellowship what John's going to start dealing with through through the end of chapter 2 are the things that threaten our fellowship with God Uh, and you think about any human relationship uh there are things that threaten the friendship or fellowship of two people or of a group of people. Uh, there are things that threaten the fellowship of Bonners Ferry Baptist Church, our fellowship one with another. False doctrine threatens our fellowship. If any one member gets caught up in false doctrine, you know what that causes? It causes division. It causes schism. When someone starts grabbing onto something that is not taught in the scripture it causes uh, th- that with us and our lord if if we lose our love for the brethren if we lose our love for the local church and something else we love more it's going to cause us to be deficient in fulfilling our responsibilities to each other same in a home or family if a child gets caught up in some kind of of, of, of sinful behavior it's going to cause a problem in the fellowship of the home well this is true in the family of god with our relationship with him There are things that threaten the fellowship. And John begins by saying, 1 John 2.15, Love not the world. He said there's something here that you need to be on guard against, Uh, whether you're a little child or a young man or a father. uh, In this family relationship, he begins to give them some instruction about guarding that relationship. He'll he'll speak. And I say that based on what verse 26 says. In 1 John 2.26, he says, These things have I written unto you concerning them, that seduce you. Let me ask you something. Do you think that that went away maybe after the year 1500 that Satan quit trying to seduce Christians? I promise you his effort today is as strong as it's ever been and perhaps more effectual than it's ever been in seducing Christians away from fellowship with God. He has learned how to be very crafty and skillful in getting us to, to... break our fellowship with God the Father, fall in love with the world, and yet package it as some kind of a better form of grace or a better understanding of Christianity, and yet there's nothing new under the sun. So tonight, we're looking at these three verses in the context of Proverbs 4.23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Here's what I understand and know to be true. If you will love the Lord Jesus Christ, every other aspect of your Christian life will fall in line. Every other aspect. You've heard it said many times, the heart of a problem is the problem of the heart. And it's true when it comes to Christian living. So John's saying you have a fellowship here, but you're going to have to maintain it, and he's going to give some instruction uh, about that. And so then, uh, he begins again in verse 15. I'll give you three points tonight. Uh, that, that are concerning the world. The first thing he deals with is one of our enemies. I believe this. Satan is the chief enemy. We'll often hear you have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. I believe we primarily have an enemy, the devil. And he uses the world, his domain, against us to appeal to our flesh that he may deceive us and destroy us. The God of this world is Satan. The, he, and again, it's just like he did with Eve. He uses something tangible, physical to lure us out and, 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 and something that was better than fellowship with God. And he says, you, if you fellowship with God, you can't have this. And doesn't this look better than fellowship with God? And we say, well, yeah, it looks better than fellowship with God. Fellowship with God is drab and dry. It's man and water. <laughs> That looks yummy. That looks good. And I believe that's exactly what John is dealing with. And so I'll give you three things about the world that he addresses here. Verse 15, verse 16, and verse 17. Number one, he speaks of the competition of the world in verse 15. The competition of the world in verse 15. Now, I want us to understand this. I've gone through these verses many times uh, to the point the Lord has brought to my attention where it is something that I think as a church we need to pay close attention to because I think the Holy Spirit of God through your pastor, is drawing it to our attention as a church. Colossians chapter 4, verse 1, verse 2 says, Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 tells us that you cannot serve God and mammon. No man can serve two masters. And then here in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 it says, Love not the world, neither the things that, be, that are in the world. If any man love the world... The love of the Father is not in him. And I, I, I want us to understand, when it comes to loving God, it's not a, you can love him and, it's either if, uh, it's either or. It's not a this and this, it's an either or thing. You either love the world or you love God. But you cannot love both. We either set our affections on eternal things, or we set our affections on temporal things, but you cannot do both. We say, that's why not? What, you know, why, why is it that way? Let me ask you this. How many have heard of, of men that say, well, you know, I have two women in my life and I love them both. Have I ever heard somebody say something like that? They're a liar. They have two women in their life because they love themselves. Period. If you loved a woman, you wouldn't love another woman. If you actually loved her, you'd be loyal to her. If I told my wife, well, I love you, but boy, I'm really divided in my heart because I've met this other lady and I love her too. What am I telling my wife? I say I found somebody else. I am telling her I do not love you. I can lie to her because I still want something. But the fact is, it's an either or. I either love her or I love somebody else. But I can't do both at the same time. Because to love her is to forsake all others. Isn't that the way the vows read? Well, they used to read anyway. Uh, Forsaking all others, I'm going to be true to you. Well, how much more to God? It is either we're going to love God, the eternal God who created us, and uh, look forward to Him and spending eternity with Him. Uh, by the way, how many times when we talk about heaven, let me just throw this little tidbit in here, uh, I find myself sometimes reluctant to ask people, are you going to heaven? Because many people today have a construed ideology about heaven. It's nirvana, it's some utopia. It's the, uh, many people's idea of heaven is the best life you can imagine on earth, for all eternity. Let me tell you what makes heaven heaven. It's where God is. That is what heaven is. So what is heaven? It is the home of God. It is the place that's completely holy, completely good, completely pure, completely righteous, completely marvelous and wonderful. Why? Because it's where God is. It's where the Lord Jesus Christ is for all eternity. What makes heaven heaven is that it's God's home. Amen. And and we need to understand that, that we look forward to heaven when we love God. And so then John says there's some competition with God in your life. If someone's going to get married, you would say, love not that person. If if there was someone competing for your heart, if you're a man, it's a woman or a woman, it's a man. uh, And someone loved you and wanted what's best for you, they'd say, don't love them. You love your wife. And to love her or love your husband, you've got to not love that one. We have a competition with God for our hearts, and it's the world. It's the temporal things that pass away. It's The world is one of those terms that's very difficult to define because it's used in so many different contexts in Scripture. All right, It's used sometimes to speak of the age we live in and the time we live in. But in essence here, the world here speaks of that, that part of humanity that is without God that part of humanity and the things that are tangible basically everything that is still under the curse of sin and that which is under the rule of satan that's the world the things that you know can dissolve be stolen rust or rot are part of the things of this world and the world is the system that satan runs that's temporary under the curse of sin and will one day be Destroyed And so John says there's competition for your heart, and the competition for your heart is the world. He's going to give a couple of things. He gives a commandment, number one, not to love it. There's a commandment. He begins the verse with a commandment. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now, to put this in context, I want us to understand something. God gives us the things of the world to use. Would that be correct? Money, silver, gold whatever the exchange of currency is, those are things of this world, the things you can buy with money. By the way, you know why people love money? Because of what you can obtain with money. (laughs) It's not not that people love green paper or gold bullion. They love what it gets when you have it. They love the possessions you can obtain or the the position you can obtain by having money. Because somebody says, I don't love money, I just love the stuff it can buy. You love money, (laughs) right? That is to love money. It's called covetousness. But how do we then think about the things of this world? May I say this? Don't confuse the term using or enjoying with love, but to love means to have a heart attachment to. What in this world are we to attach our hearts to? Only Christ, so nothing of this world. We're not to lay our hearts on anything that will pass away, on anything that is that is temporal. So look very quickly, if you would, at First Corinthians chapter 7. This is a verse we're going to refer to a time or two, but Paul gives some instruction about how to live without distraction uh, for the Lord in First Corinthians chapter seven, and he references the world here and what our attitude uh, toward the world should be. If I ask you tonight to define the word abuse, now it gets used in a lot of a lot of ways, but what is abuse? Do I don't know how to define that term? You think of abuse, you think of somebody pounding you. If it's physical abuse, I'm pounding you on the head and leaving you bruised. Well, that is a form of abuse. I I am misusing my fist on your head. But really, the simplest form of abuse is to misuse something. Either to use it excessively or to misuse it. So I've used this illustration many times, but if I told my my boys, hey, we're going to go host some, we're going to go and clear some weeds out of the garden, and I find them out there with my, my shotgun digging weeds out of the garden, I'd say, stop abusing my gun. Now, can you hoe weeds out of a garden with a shotgun? Yeah, but that's not its intended use. The world and the things of it were never created to be loved. Never. They were created to be used. They were created to be used as tools. They were created uh, to serve one another with. The world and the things of it were created to serve God with. They were never created to be a treasure. That's why the Lord Jesus said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Meaning, God never gave us wood and gold and silver. Some would say, well, God made all those things, correct, but He did not make them for us to love. He made them to serve us, not us to serve them. When we are serving the world and the things of it, we are out of order. When I serve my money instead of making my money serve me, I'm abusing it. Make sense? We are to use the things of this world without abusing the things of this world. 1 Corinthians 7 says, verse 31, And they that use this world, right? There are people that use this world. We use the things of this world. And they that use this world as not abusing it. uh, For the fashion of this world passeth away. When we love the world and the things in this world, we are abusing the world. It's misuse of what God created. And uh, I, believe, I believe this. We have to ask ourselves, are the things in this world, whether it be tangible, the tangible goods, are they tools or are they treasures? They're just tools. Money is a tool, not a treasure. That's why I speak to you often of this. I do not believe any Christian should have the mentality, I am about building wealth. Now, God may bestow you with wealth. He may in in tangible goods, but it is never to be our goal. The Bible says labor not to be rich. God says labor not to be rich. Riches have wings. And so then if we're rich, 1 Timothy chapter 6, rich in this world's good, we're to be ready to distribute, meaning ready to use the tool. But we are to never fall in love with the things of this world. That goes from bank accounts to deer rifles, right? to, to positions in this life. I mean, it covers tangible goods, but it also covers positions we hold in this life that we think make us something or somebody. And so then John warns, love not the world, meaning don't love this life, don't love this sin-cursed age, and don't love the things of this world. And so then, this tells us two things. When he says love not the world, it infers two things to me. Number one, the world is an allurement to the believer. It is undoubtedly a temptation for the child of God or He wouldn't tell us not to do it. There would be no need for the commandment if there were not an allurement by the world. There are things that compete... Isn't it a sad thing that the things that compete with the One who saved us are the very things He created? But we, we are tempted to love our things, the things he gives us and the positions we have in this life and the influence we may garner for a little while to love that and cling to that into disobedience to him. And yet that's exactly what it is. So number one, it infers to me when the commandment that's given not to love the world infers that the world is an allurement by Satan of the devil. A Colossians 3, I referenced it earlier, but I want to read uh, these first four verses of Colossians chapter 3. You can turn there if you wish. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. I referenced verse 2. A minute ago it says in verse 1, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above more than on things on the earth. Every time we come here I read it this way because we really need to get this ingrained in our hearts. It is set your affection on things above not... On things on the earth. For ye are dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear. Then shall you also appear with him. In glory. He says your glory is coming. So set your affection on things above. Again the commandment then tells me that we need the commandment to keep us from doing so. It is a a commandment of warning that infers that the world is an allurement to us. Number two, if it is an allurement, then it tells me it is possible for the believer to love the world. I've heard some people uh, uh, say that Demas was a lost man. I have a hard time with that. Paul didn't say Demas is in hell having forsaken me, having loved this present world. He said Demas hath forsaken me, meaning he quit the ministry having done what? Loved this present world. When did the Bible tell you, whosoever shall not love this present world shall uh, be saved? Somebody said. The Bible says, whosoever believeth in him should have eternal life. My point is this, Demas was a laborer with Paul, and either he lost his salvation, never had it, or as a believer, got out of love with the Father by getting in love with the world having loved this present world. Every one of us. By the way, if you track Demas, I think there's four references to Demas. There's three for sure, maybe four, in your New Testament. The first couple referred to him being a fellow laborer with Paul. The final one in 2 Timothy 4, 4 says, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, meaning he has quit serving God because it's costing him too much in this life. Perhaps his own life was being threatened. And so then it's uh, uh, the inference of the commandment is that it's possible for us to, obviously, to love the world and that the world is an allurement to us. Number two, or letter B, under the competition of the world, we've got the commandment to not to love and then the conclusion concerning love. He says in verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Someone say, see... That means he's not saved. No, it means you don't love God like you should. Ask your question. Is it possible to believe on the Lord without loving him? Ask Peter. Ask something. The night Peter, uh, Peter denied Jesus, was he loving the Lord that night or loving Peter that night? Was he loving the Father or loving the world? Let's walk through it. When asked, Peter, you're one of them, sir. He said, I am not. Why did he say I am not? What was his motive and his purpose? Self-preservation of this body in this time was love of the world. If he had loved the father, he would have said, I'm with this one. Say, well, he was lost. No, I believe he was lost. He was a disciple already. He knew the, he knew the Savior. But the fact of the matter is, it's a clear cut thing. You cannot love the world and love the Father at the same time. That's what verse 15 is saying. If any man loved the world, if the, uh, 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 love the world, new things are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so then, very clearly, we must choose to love the Father. Or love the world. So the conclusion concerning is it, it's an either-or scenario, as I said before. Uh, let's, let's look at just a few, a few more verses. Proverbs 23, verse 26 says, Give me thine heart, my son, and let thine eyes observe my ways. James chapter 4, verse 4, turn there if you would. As we see the competition that the world has with God for our hearts. One of the things I pray for our young people, including especially my own children, is that God will help them get the victory over the world, winning their hearts. Jobs become gods to people. Uh, Athletics become gods to people. Pleasures of this life become gods to us. And instead of obeying God, we obey our lusts. Because we love the world and the things that are in it, the, the pleasures of this world. And whether they be sinful or not, when they grab our heart, they cause us not to love God. James chapter 4, verse 4 says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. It's the same thing again, isn't it? Romans twelve two And be not conformed to this world. Know this. This world, the, 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 the godless culture, hates God and it wants us to love it. This is what is so wrong with the new framework of how people are structuring church today. It is structured to make the world happy instead of making God happy and it is spiritual adultery when we structure our music and when we assemble with one another to make lost people who reject Jesus Christ, who love their sin, who live according to their lust, when we make our lives attractive to them, we have committed spiritual adultery. Meaning we're flirting with the world. We want them to like us. We want them to be pleased with us. We want them to think we're one of them, that we're part of the end crowd. Listen here. If we're going to serve God, the world's going to hate us. They could just as soon live without us as with us. And what's problematic in a lot of our churches, including many independent Baptist churches today, is trying to figure out, here's the word that we use, how to be relevant. How do we get to a place where they think we're cool? i got news for you. It does not matter if a lost person thinks that my Christianity is cool. That will not save him. What he needs to know is that God has my heart. That's what he needs to know. The world is in competition with God for my heart. And if you and I don't guard against it, it it is like the strange woman of Proverbs chapter 7. This world is seductive. It is appealing to our flesh. It says, I'll make you happy and I'll make you happy now. It's happiness you can see and feel and touch instead of just think about in the future like like the promises of God. Heaven's not something you can see and feel and touch right now. You've got to believe God for it. Uh, Our joy of heaven is based on hope, which is based on faith, which means I know it's true, but I don't possess it yet. And and Satan knows that we are a a people that like things instantly. We want instant gratification. I want my happiness and my pleasure now. And God says, no, if you're going to love me, some of that you have to wait on. Satan says, you come my way. You don't have to wait. You can have a good time now and then. (laughs) The world is bidding for our heart. Uh, And God says, if you love the world, you don't love the Father. And if you are a friend of the world, you're an enemy of God. And yet we have a Christianity today, it's just Laodicean is what it is, that says you can be a friend of the world and a friend of God because God really wants us to be a friend of the world. Remember, God so loved the world. That's not what this is talking about. God so loved the world that He came in the form of Christ and let the world crucify Him that He might save Him. (laughs) Amen. And so then the commandment not to love the world brings us to a conclusion concerning love of the world. It is impossible to love God and love the world. It's just impossible. We must choose one or the other. And then, if you would, number two, now we've seen the competition of the world, but back to 1 John, we see the character of the world in verse 16. In verse 15, we have the commandment, or the, excuse me, the competition of the world, and the commandment given, the conclusion given. In verse 16, the character of the world is, is described and it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. It was explained, I uh, read a note this week, uh, and I know nothing really about this man, but he made a good statement concerning it. His name is Stuart Briscoe, and he explained it this way. The lust of the flesh is our passion. It's what we are passionate for. The lust of the eyes has to deal with our possessions. Because when you've got it, you can see it. Lust of the flesh is what I yearn for, what I have a passion for. The lust of the eyes are the possessions I have, the things I can see that I can obtain, and the lust of the and the pride of life is our position. So the passions of this life, the possessions of this life, and position in this life. One of the things I think is very dangerous is trying to use our Christianity to obtain these things. I'll use the ministry to pursue my passions. I'll use uh, some kind of service for God so that I can put a cloak over my covetousness. That's what happened there. It described what apostates do. They have a cloak for their covetousness and it becomes the ministry. I'll use service for God to be somebody in this life, to gain position of admiration. And that's never to be our goals. To gain what we lust after, we're supposed to be dead to that. To gain a position of notoriety in this life, we're to be dead to that. To gain possessions in this life, certainly God will meet our needs, but to gain possessions that we might fulfill our passions and have position, we're to be dead to that. That's not even on our radar screen. And if it is, we better be aware, because God says that's of this world. God didn't put that in us. God gave us the things we need, but lust is not of God. Lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes, that's not of God. Pride of life is not of the Father. So he describes here the character of the world. I describe it this way. Number one, the world is self-pursuant. They determine what they're going to pursue. That's what lust means. My longings, my yearnings, what I have to have for my own sensual gratification. Listen now, this may be something that is inherently sinful and it may not be. As long as I'm living according to my fleshly lust, it's going to result in sin. But I may not be lusting after some other man's wife. I may just be lusting after more money, which may seem harmless on its face, but it's not. The fact of the matter is, anything that's based in lust is going to result in sin. It must be based in love for God, not in lust for my own power and pleasure and these things. So the world is self-pursuant. By that I mean they are not led of God. They are are driven by lust. I long for this. I yearn for this. I cannot tell myself, no, I must have more pleasure. I must have more things. I must have a, a, a more... notoriety, more admiration of men. Listen, this is what drives men to do what they do. What drives a man to work out six days a week and uh, diet and do all these things? He longs to win, that he might have admiration, that he might get a good contract, whatever it may be. What drives men to spend thousands of dollars on education and apply themselves to be the best in their field? If they're lost, it's lust that's driving them. And we and we admire these things. But God says, no, that's not who you are. But the world is self-pursuant. James 1, a reminder says, Blessed is the man, verse 12, that endureth temptation for when he is tried, he shall received the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. uh says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth Sin And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Verse 17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So the world is self-pursuant. It pursues its own passions. This is when you hear, follow your heart. I mean, the grocery story the other day, and the repeated phrase of the song is, Follow your heart. Follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. You hear that all the time. But it's, it's true. We don't follow our hearts. We 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 are to follow the Lord. Follow our heart. We'll get in sin. Don't follow your yearnings. Don't follow your passions. Don't trust what you crave. We trust what God says. And so then the world is self-pursuant. It just pursues what it wants. And I'll say this again because it merits being said again. The, the new supposed great gospel of grace being preached in our day is God wants you happy. And if getting something will make you happy, he wants you to have that. Because God loves you, and you know that anybody loves you wants you happy. And if this is what makes you happy, so if you can't be in church and stay faithful to the assembly because you need to pursue a career that's going to make you wealthier so you can be a better giver, God wants you happy You do that, even if you can't be in church all the time. No, God wants you in the house of God. And if you have to say no to finances to be faithful to the house of God, that's what God wants because that's what he said. <laughs> Amen? He wants his kingdom first, his righteousness first, and so uh, we must be on guard against these things. The world is self-pursuant. It chases its own lust. Number two, of course, then it's self-pleasing. Number three, then, of course, it is self-promoting. Number four, then it is self-preserving, and all of this is self-producing. The lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father. God, there are those who say, well, if, if this desire I have wasn't of God, then why is it in me? He created me. Now, people have used that to justify adultery. People have used that to justify chasing money. People have used that to justify fornication and sodomy and all sorts of wicked debauchery. If God wasn't... If He didn't make me this way... I mean, He's my maker. I believe God's a creator and I have this desire. He put this in me. God says, no, He didn't. The lust of the flesh is generated by a Satan-run world, not by God. The lust of your eyes, that longing for what you want to possess... God didn't put that in you. God put contentment in you, not covetousness. Yes. The pride of life, wanting to best someone else and have a position that elevates me above you is not of God. God says, submit yourselves, humble yourselves, be a servant to others, not try to be better than others. And so then, none of these things are of God. We should not justify them by saying, well, it's a God-given desire. God-given desires are always righteous and based in righteous principles and so the delight thyself also in the lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart psalm 37 tells us so the character of the world its self-pursuant self-pleasing self-promoting self-preserving self-producing it's interesting to me first john tells us god is love god is love we have a culture today says this love is god oh i hit a switch i'm so sorry everyone awake that was my fault my finger slipped on that Is there a difference in saying God is love and love is God? God is who he is. He said to Moses, I am that I am. So love is defined by who God is. God is not defined by what we think love is. Today, we have a crowd that says, love is God. Love is God. Whatever your understanding of love is, well, that's your understanding of God. No, God is who the word of God declares him to be in the person of Jesus Christ, and that is love. Vast difference. Don't fall for flipping that statement around. So the competition of the world competes for our hearts. The character of the world, self-pursuant, self-pleasing, self-promoting, self-preserving, self-producing. The opposite of all those things is the description in 1 Corinthians 13 of charity. A charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, seeketh not her own. All those things in 1 Corinthians 13 are the opposite of the way the world lives. Number three. And by the way, before we go to number three, I've heard more than once recently, you need to love yourself. You need to love yourself. hear terms like this, you got to forgive yourself. No, because you're not God, you didn't sin against yourself. When we sin, we sin against God, and he has the authority to forgive. And I understand accepting the forgiveness of God, I understand that, and letting it take away your guilt, but you can't forgive yourself, and you certainly don't ever... How many many times in the Bible are we commanded to love ourselves? You can search every chapter in the Bible, every verse, every word, there's not one commandment ever to love ourselves. Amen. Ephesians 5 says, Never man yet hated his own body. We know what he's saying? You don't have to be told to love yourself. I have to tell you to love your wife because I don't have to tell you to love you. right? We're told to love our wives. Wives are told to love their husbands. We're told to love our children. We're told to love one another. We're told to love our neighbor. We're told to love our enemy. And we're told to love God. But we're never told to love ourselves. When you find someone that says love yourself, you found you a worldling. They're either lost and on their way to hell or deceived as a child of God. But if you're reading some book and it says, well, you got to love yourself, throw that thing away and read your Bible. That's not of God, the character of the world. Number three, the corruption of the world. This is why God doesn't want us to love the world. Verse 17. And the world does what? Passeth away. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I've written in my margin here, Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Be not deceived. Uh, Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth the flesh that's this world, shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Meaning, if you yield to your lust, you're going to lose it. But if you yield to the Spirit of God, you're going to keep it. Whatever we do in surrender and obedience to the Holy Spirit of God, that's going to last. He that doeth the will of God. The contrast here is the will of God versus the lust of my flesh. See, what is wood, hay, and stubble? The things, the decisions I make, out of my lust. I'm doing this because I want to, because I like it, it pleases me or promotes me. It either looks good to my eyes or it is appealing and pleasing to my flesh or it is going to promote me and give me a better position in this life. Those things will burn, it's wood hay and stubble. However, the things that we do that are the will of God, communicated by his word, by his holy spirit within us, these are the things that will last forever. Here's what God is saying. I don't want you to love the world because if you do, you're going to lose what you love. He that will save his life shall lose it. But he that will lose his life for my sake, the gospel's the same, shall keep it. Meaning, if you cling to the things of this life, you know what happens when you die? There are people, millions of people die every year and on their deathbed they lose everything they live for all their life because they did not live for God. They live for temporary things. they live for you know what? It's very hard to be a CEO of a company when you 're on a deathbed. It is very hard to spend your investments when you can't breathe. What will man give in exchange? What's the profit man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What will man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus said. You see, what, what John is doing is simply expanding on the principles that the Lord Jesus Christ set forward. He's doing so under the inspiration of the Spirit of Christ, telling us, don't love this world, you lose it. I think all of us know that if I could bring Brooklyn in here tonight and Benson and I had in my right hand Hershey's Kisses and Reese's Cups and they're, yeah, beautifully they're wrapped and then they taste as good as they look. I mean, they do, I think, it's my opinion they do. They're wrapped in a gold wrapper, and they're even better to open up and eat. And I've got a handful of beautifully wrapped chocolates, maybe a big old box of, uh, of, of Valentine chocolates over here, beautifully wrapped in this package. And over here, I've got three $100 bills wadded up. And I ask either one of them, which one do you want? You tell me what they're going to say. Now, some of my older ones, it wouldn't work because they know how many chocolates you can buy with 300 bucks. <laughs> but those two little guys... You, in a moment, I have no doubt. I said, Brooklyn, which one do you want? She'd go, bloop, and take the chocolate. Because of the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes. Has nothing to do with the pride of life, but I know what that tastes like, and look how good it looks. Now, some of us are very much like that spiritually. Satan says, look at this. Look at this relationship. Look, look how happy it would make you. Look at this career. Look how how happy and how popular this would! If you had this job, you could buy that and buy that and buy that, and everyone would think you're the coolest guy or girl in town. Yes? We go. <gasps> and God says, "But if you're doing that, you can't obey me here. If you take that, you're disobeying this commandment about who I want you to marry or where I how I want you to spend your time. You can't do that. And love those things." And love me. Do you realize the commandments of God are, are crafted in such a way that we have to choose to obey Him or live for the world? Do you know how many people have quit church over money? How many people have quit church over athletics? How many people have quit church over retaining a family relationship? Meaning they abandoned and quit reading their Bible as a consequence, quit obeying the Lord in other aspects of their life as a consequence. Because you know, something in this life. Became their heart's desire. And they became a disobedient child of God. Because something else got their heart. What I'm saying is we're like that little child. Where Satan says. Doesn't this look good and taste good? And we're like Eve. And we go. "Mm Mm-hmm. And God says. But you have to disobey me to take it. We say. Oh, but I can't live without it. And we reach out. And we trade the eternal for the temporal. We trade a momentary pleasure for eternal joy. We say, man, I've got to have that. When if we loved God, we'd say, you know what? I'll forgo that to stay in fellowship with him. You know what? If we're going to have fellowship with God, we have to guard our hearts against the world and all the things that are in the world. They say, love me, love me. And we have to say, no, I can't because I love God. Now, I don't want us to miss. I believe the heart and soul of this text is, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Don't ever buy the compromised version of that. If any man love the world, he doesn't love the Father very much. Not what it said. It's either or. Amen. Tonight, we have a commandment. Love not the world, because the world is in competition with God for our hearts. We are given the character of the world. It's selfish all the way through. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, not of the Father, but of the world. And then the corruption of the world is the vanity is seen of the world and its lust. It says here that the world passeth away, meaning it's decaying and it will one day be lost, one way or the other. First Corinthians seven thirty one says again, uh, they that use the user world is not abusing it, uh, because the fashion of it passeth away." But the value of the will of God is this: that He that does the will of God abideth forever. Let's close with Second Corinthians chapter four, verse eighteen. Then we'll be done. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse eighteen. Also, Paul says this while we look not at the things which are seen—that's this world—but at the things which are not seen. How do you look at something that's not seen? Do you notice the uh, paradox in that statement? You know, you, there's, there are paradoxes in the Bible. The way up is down. Uh, the way to live is to die. The way to victory is to surrender. And the way to see is to look at things that aren't seen. <laughs> While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are, what's it say? Temporal. That means they're passing away. But the things which are not seen are eternal. How many have ever seen the body of another person? Of course. You know what the body is? Temporal. It is. Put this verse to the test on anything you, you want to. The things that are seen are temporal. Human flesh, pianos, pulpits, church buildings, cars, houses, land, you name it. It's all temporal. It's all going to pass away. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Your soul? Eternal. It's going to be spending eternity somewhere. You know what? Souls of men are more important than the bodies of men. Both are important. Souls are more important. Amen? Eternal treasure. That's what's important. And God says this, you look at the things that are seen. That's not what we're going to do. We look at the things that you're not seeing, because the things that are seen are temporal. God says, I don't want you to love the world because that is a misuse or an abuse of it. I want you to love me. You love the world, you're going to lose. Isn't God always looking out for our best interest? He doesn't want us to love him because he's got something wrong. He wants us to love him because he loves us. And we love him because he first loved us. He wants us to invest wisely our lives. Love not the world, neither things are in the world.